The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. Uh, We're so delighted that you're here with us today, especially if you're a visitor. If you are um, a visitor, we'd like you to uh, stay a little bit afterwards so we can get a chance to to meet you and and greet you. Um, We are in a series in the the book of Romans, and so if you have your Bible still open, um, you can flip over to Romans chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 21 through 31 this morning. Romans 3, 21 through 31. I want to thank Brian for reading that passage from Ephesians, which um, goes right along with what Paul writes here in Romans chapter 3. So it reads, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Uh, Everything in Romans builds upon what came before it. That's why I'm glad you're here this morning. If you didn't come back from last week, uh, you would have only got part of the message. And of course, you know that last week Paul painted an accurate but a very bleak picture of the world. And so we've all fallen short every one of us. And we like to compare ourselves to others. Um, I think everyone knows that, you know, they're not perfect, but it makes us feel better if we can point to someone who's maybe just a, a little worse off than we are. And this is actually a very human thing to do, but Paul won't allow that type of reasoning. In the first three chapters of Romans, he makes it clear that, that all are guilty. And this is the dilemma that we find ourselves in. Knowing that all are sinners and all are helpless before the God of the universe, Romans 3.21 begins with two important words, but now. So as you read those first two and a half chapters of Romans, you get a clear and thorough picture of the depravity of humanity. Paul says things like, There is none righteous, no, not one. 
and what Paul says is true. And you begin to think that Romans is going to be all about the failings uh, of humanity, our own shortcomings, and how we deserve whatever punishment that we might receive. God could have given us a letter like that because we have not lived up to his standard. But he doesn't. And beginning in Romans 3.21, the letter takes a different direction. We've probably all seen a movie where it looks like things are going one way, and then something happens, maybe halfway through the movie or a lot of times at the end, and it changes the entire outcome. Often this involves a great battle, and perhaps two sides are at war with one another, and it looks as if the good guys are going to lose and the bad guys are going to win, but all of a sudden, you know, here comes over the hill reinforcements, and everything changes. And this is sort of what happens in Romans. And this is the verse where the pivot takes place. And Paul writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And we have to remember all the way back to, to Genesis and that God made several promises to Abraham and that God still intends to keep all of those promises even though Israel failed. The righteousness of God here can be understood as God's covenant faithfulness. In other words, God is going to keep his promises even though Israel has not been faithful to the covenant. He is going to do what is right apart from the law. Why? The law justifies only if a person can keep the whole law. And so there is a way to be justified under the law. Uh, but no one has ever done it. No person except for Jesus has kept the entire law. Therefore, what the law does is the law condemns people rather than justifies. And human beings are in need of something besides the law to make them righteous before God. Now, this does not mean that the law is useless. The law is good. It's not the law's fault that human beings could not keep it. And Paul explains this in verse 21. He says that the law and the prophets attested to God's faithfulness. And so God's character is revealed by what we read in the law and the prophets. It also points to the coming Messiah. And so Paul is not writing off the law here. He is merely pointing out that, that we need something else, that we cannot be justified under the law. And so if we cannot live in such a way under the law to be justified, then how will we ever stand before God? Well, Paul explains, but first he wants to make sure that we understand the problem. He spent two and a half chapters doing this, but he sums it all up, and then he gives us the answer. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so how can we stand before God justified? We cannot depend upon our works 
Our right living will not save us. Uh, The law told people exactly how to live, but humans failed at it every single day. Neither does Paul point to doctrinal purity. Uh, That's not the key to righteousness either. Since the beginning, the, the people of God have had doctrinal disagreements. And thankfully, Paul does not say, well, you know, get your life right, and then you will be justified. Or get your beliefs right, and then you will be justified. Instead, he says, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Because we're not going to get it all right. And that's why we need God's grace. Now, right living and right doctrine are extremely important. We, we cannot abandon them because we have God's grace. And Paul's going to discuss this later in the letter. But right here, he is explaining how we are justified, how we are saved. And it is by the grace of God. Now, it would seem that this would be a welcome bit of news. But grace is a scandalous thing. And remember, Paul has just discussed sin and how we like to make judgments regarding others. And we tend to think that, you know, we're just a little bit better off than this group or that one. But Paul puts a stop to this type of thinking. And in verse 22, he states, for there is no distinction. And so all are guilty And it doesn't do us any good to compare ourselves to others. Well, this also applies to grace. One of the scandalous things about grace is that someone is going to receive it who we think doesn't deserve it. Um, This is the story of Jonah. God showed grace to Nineveh. Jonah's problem was he didn't think they deserved it. Someone is going to receive grace who didn't work as hard as you did. Someone you disagree with on a certain issue is going to receive grace. Someone who might not have their life all in order is going to be a recipient of the grace of God. And this is what makes it grace. It's what we do not deserve. Because None of us could be justified under the law. And so therefore, God has given us grace. And it's a scandalous thing. But, but it's something that we should all be thankful for because we cannot be saved without it. And so how is this possible? It's only possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus. We receive grace Because Jesus came to earth and he went to the cross. And it is through his blood that the forgiveness of sins is possible. We receive grace, but it comes at a high cost. Now, we did not do anything to earn it. In fact, you cannot earn grace because if you did, then it wouldn't be grace. But Jesus gave his life so that we could have this gift. And this cannot be forgotten. We should remember this each time we we contemplate the grace of God. We should remember the the, the cost that Jesus paid. 
We should remember each time that we gather around the Lord's table. We are here today only because of Jesus. And without him, we would be lost. And so how do we respond to this gift of grace? So far, we've only talked about what God has done. Uh, Don't we have some responsibility in all this? And the answer is yes. And Paul could not be clear. We are justified by grace. God saves us by giving us what we do not deserve. This is all possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus. But who is the one who is saved? Well, Paul says it is the person who has faith. Romans 3.26 states he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. And so we need to talk a moment about faith because faith is more than just mental assent. The word belief that is sometimes associated with faith really doesn't capture everything that's wrapped up in this word. And what Paul is really talking about here is trust. The one who trusts in Jesus is justified by his grace. And when we trust our lives to Jesus, he has our back. He's going to take care of us. Unlike belief, trust is something that impacts every aspect of our life. And so when we trust Jesus, we're going to want to live right. We will want to have the right doctrine. We will want to believe the right things. We will want to obey all his commands. Doing what Jesus says won't be a problem because we trust him. And when Paul and others talk about trust, they are talking about a way of living with Jesus at the center. And so having faith in Jesus is living a life under the power and authority of Jesus. Now, sometimes people will try and separate uh, maybe faith from baptism or faith from right living. But you really can't do that because the two go hand in hand. If you trust Jesus, then baptism is a given. Jesus did it. He commanded us to do it. And that's all we need to know. If you trust Jesus, then there is no question about how we should live. We follow Jesus. We strive to live like him. We obey his commands. Will we do this perfectly? No. But that's why we're saved by grace. And as long as we continue to trust in Jesus, God's grace is going to take care of the rest. The doctrine of grace sets us free. And faith in Jesus gives our life direction and purpose. We spend a lot of unnecessary time comparing ourselves to others. We're always going around seeing, you know, how we measure up. And that's not necessary any longer because we don't earn our salvation. I don't have to worry about being better than my neighbor. Nor should I be concerned if God graciously rescues the man who struggles through life. Salvation is not about me. It's about God. And God gets all the credit. The the person who is set free with a purpose, or the person who is set free without a purpose, 
is in danger of destroying their life. Uh, Jesus gives us a purpose. He is the model that we should follow. It's easy to trust him because of everything he's already done for us. And so he's the creator of everything we see. He's the reason why we're here today. He blesses us in so many ways. But most importantly, he gives us salvation because of the sacrifice that he made on the cross. There is no reason not to trust Jesus. But, but trust is just the beginning. Our life begins to change the moment we trust him. This is because he holds the key to life. We are made, we were created to live like Jesus. He is the owner manual of our life. And the only person that we should compare ourselves to is him. Now you might be thinking that you don't want to do that because Jesus is perfect. And, you know, you're not. But that's not what's going on here. The, the whole point of this, this passage is, is that, that, that we're saved not by being perfect. We're saved by grace that comes through trusting Jesus. Therefore, may we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross so that we might know the fullness of God's amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning. We come before you confessing that we do not deserve what you have given us. That we are only saved because of what you have done. We are only saved because of your grace. And we're thankful for your grace, Father, because we are not perfect. We often fail in many different ways. But we continue to trust in you. And we continue to strive to be like Jesus and to have our lives conform to his. Be with us, Father, as we go out into the world this week, knowing that we are saved by grace and knowing what a blessing this is so that we might be able to share this good news with others. We're so thankful for the book of Romans, which proclaims all this to us. And we're thankful especially for your son. We pray this in his name. Amen.